Hello and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies and your host for the program. This is episode 42. We are deep in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Today's show is being brought to you by DraftKings. Round two is coming up and it's no joke. This is where we separate the pretenders from the contenders and you can get some skin in the game with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. They're offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, and they're offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes each day. Now, the best part is that it is free to play. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. All you have to do is download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win some cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So, download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. As I said, this is episode 42 of the Grizz Weekly Grind, and uh, right now Grizzlies are getting ready to play game four against the Utah Jazz on Monday night. Series standing at 2-1 in favor of the Jazz as the Jazz have won each of the last two games. We'll recap game three in That Was the Week That Was. Also got a handful of PD's points for you. And then finally, we're going to bring back the friend of the program. And it's a good friend, former assistant coach for the Philadelphia 76ers and the Memphis Grizzlies, and was the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks at the start of this season, but uh, was dismissed halfway through. We're going to talk with Lloyd Pierce, widely respected basketball coach in the NBA, and uh, right now doing some commentary for NBA TV. And we're going to get his take on the NBA playoffs as a whole. We'll talk particularly, of course, about the Grizzlies and Jazz series. Going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, who swept out the Miami Heat over the weekend, and uh, we'll talk about them. We'll talk about the Philadelphia 76ers, and can anybody knock off the Brooklyn Nets, who appear to be uh, ready to knock out the Boston Celtics, uh, the Nets currently leading that series three games to one. So that's what we've got in today's show. So uh, you know what? Time's a-wasting. Let's get started. Let's get to That Was the Week That Was. So the Grizzlies come home to play game number three against the Utah Jazz on Saturday night. It is one of the most widely anticipated gatherings in Memphis in many, many years. Last time the Grizzlies played a playoff game at FedEx Forum, it was the spring of 2017. The San Antonio Spurs eliminated the Grizzlies in six games in a first-round series in the 2017 NBA playoffs. Mike Conley led the way. For the Memphis Grizzlies, averaging just under 25 points per game, it was and still is uh, his highest postseason scoring average, although he is threatening it this year because Mike's playing some of the best basketball of his career, the first-time All-Star, long-time deserving, first-time All-Star this year, playing really, really well. Tremendous energy in the building, approximately 55% of capacity, about 10,000 people 
they ended up listing uh, the attendance as 12,185 as a sellout. So uh, definitely a little fuller maybe than, uh, than they had anticipated. And we'll wait to see what the capacity will be for Game 4 as the mask restrictions have been lifted in Shelby County. And uh, I know that the Memphis Redbirds and Memphis 901 FC Soccer Club, they are going to go to full capacity at AutoZone Park. So we'll see what the Grizzlies will decide as far as Game 4 is concerned. And hopefully there will be a game six, and maybe then we'll have an entirely full house. But great energy in the building to start. Uh, but the Utah Jazz, they actually fed, I think, off the uh, energy on the road and got off to a great start. couple of early turnovers, a couple of easy baskets early, and they led 34-22 after one quarter shot, 48% in the first quarter. Uh, Grizzlies turned it over three times and gave up five points off those turnovers. Meanwhile, the Grizzlies... You know, sometimes the high emotion of playing in front of your home crowd in a playoff situation, sometimes it will it will carry you as it did the Grizzlies in the uh, playing game against San Antonio. But then sometimes I almost wonder if it works against you because the Grizzlies didn't shoot particularly well, just two of seven from three and 39% in that first quarter and six of 15 in the paint. Grizzlies were getting the looks that they wanted to get but we're not able to put them down. So, again, the Grizzlies, uh, a double-digit deficit early, 34-22 in that first quarter. Grizzlies got eight from John Morant. Meanwhile, Royce O'Neal hit three of five from three. He had nine points. Mike Conley had six for the Utah Jazz. Then on to the second quarter. Well, this is where uh, Utah exercised their right to get to the free-throw line. They made eight of nine free-throws in the second quarter. Uh, Grizzlies actually win the second quarter and they go to the halftime break down 11 because they were very ball secure. Only one turnover in the second quarter. Meanwhile, Utah had six miscues for eight points. But again, uh, Utah shooting the ball really well. Eight of 17 from the floor in the quarter. Eight of nine from the free throw line. And very, very balanced scoring. Uh, Conley had six in the quarter. Bogdanovich had five in the quarter. Gobert had four in the quarter. And then Jordan Clarkson comes off the bench, and he adds five in the period. Grizzlies got a big quarter uh, from Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen, who had really struggled, uh, you know, periodically. You'll remember he had that seven three-point make game against the Milwaukee Bucks in that big road win. Then he went really, really cold from three and then came back and then hit those massive threes in the play-in game at Golden State and then had been more or less MIA with his three-point shooting. But he comes up three of four from beyond the arc in the second quarter, keeping the Grizzlies in contact here. And so it's a 62-51 game at halftime. Third quarter, Donovan Mitchell. This is where he really started to heat up. Donovan Mitchell with eight in the third quarter, uh, with ten, I beg your pardon, in the second in the third quarter, and Mike Conley with eight in the period. Uh, big quarter for Jonas Valanciunas. Valanciunas had been held scoreless in the first half and really was not a factor in this ball game, and it wasn't because of fouls. He only got two shots in the air in the first half. But Valanchunas, uh, Grizzlies, a concentrated effort to get him the basketball, and he had a double-double through three quarters, 10 and 10 for him. Kyle Anderson, a remarkable rebounding game. He had 11 rebounds through three quarters. Uh, Dylan Brooks, a seven-point third quarter, uh, but the Grizzlies could not make up any ground on the scoreboard. It was 96-85 through three quarters, and you knew that uh, time was wasting for the Grizzlies and they needed to make a move, and they did at the start of the fourth quarter. They go off on a 13-2 run to start the fourth quarter to draw even. Grizzlies eventually do take a two-point lead uh, in this basketball game, but Utah Jazz, 
you know, this is a veteran basketball team. Uh, you don't win 52 games in a 72-game season by accident. You do it by being very, very good with multiple weapons. And Donovan Mitchell coming up big in the fourth quarter. He finished with 10 of his 29 in the fourth quarter. Got to the free throw line five times. He made five of six from the free throw line. Grizzlies had a real bad habit during this game of fouling three-point shooters. And, uh, and it cost the Grizzlies quite a bit in this basketball game. Grizzlies end up, uh, they get an 11-point fourth quarter from John Morant. And John Morant now, in all of the postseason games, has had a double-figure scoring game. And you go back to the Golden State game, and of course he had the big fourth quarter there. He's had big fourth quarters, or at least double-digit scoring fourth quarters, really throughout the entire postseason. And a remarkable postseason run for him. He finishes with 28. Dylan Brooks finishes with 27. And the Grizzlies, like I said, they had a, they started the quarter on a 13-2 run. They got the game tied, eventually would take the lead. But then Utah, doing what Utah does so well, they close on a 14-2 run, and the Grizzlies simply could not get a field goal to drop. I think they missed their last 10 shots of this basketball game, and they end up losing game three, 121-111. So now the Utah Jazz, a two-games-to-one series lead on the Grizzlies. Jazz shooting 49%. Uh, they just have been so good offensively. They have gotten high-percentage shots. They have gotten the shots that they want to get, and Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley are having very, very good series. Even though Joe Ingles is not uh, scoring at a particularly high rate, uh, but Utah is getting contributions from a number of players. All five starters in double figures, Jordan Clarkson with 15 off the bench. Meanwhile, the Grizzlies uh, finally get a double-figure scoring game off the bench. Grayson Allen with 17, which is his postseason high. Uh, but the Grizzlies are just not getting enough from their bench, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. So uh, Saturday night belongs to the Utah Jazz, the final 121 to 111, despite the fact that the Grizzlies had 21 second-chance points and 54 in the paint and only had nine turnovers in this basketball game. Jazz don't force a lot of turnovers. Grizzlies didn't make a lot of unforced errors, and the Grizzlies actually were better at forcing turnovers and scoring off the turnovers. But again, uh, even though the Grizzlies had 19 more shots, the free throw disparity was almost 2-1. to one. 27 free throws attempted for the Jazz, only 14 for the Grizzlies. Although the Grizzlies did have 19 more shots on goal, they shot 6.5% less than the Utah Jazz. And so 121-111 is your final. We go to Monday night's game four at FedEx Forum. Grizzlies trying to send this series back to Salt Lake City at 2-2 and force a sixth game uh, at FedEx form and that is that was the week that was and as we always do in the program let's get to uh, some Petey's points uh, first of all number one give the Grizzlies a ton of credit for fighting back against adversity uh, they have been behind double digits in every game in this series uh, yet they have managed in some way shape or form to get a lead may not have always held on to it but they have been able to get back the lead and when you consider that the Grizzlies in in the game on Saturday night trailed by as many as 15 and just appeared to be I don't want to say dead in the water, but Utah is playing really, really good basketball right now. Uh, the Grizzlies do rally in the start of the fourth quarter, and they do grab a lead. Just too much of a mountain to climb to 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 climb that mountain and then to hold on to it, and they end up losing the basketball game. But this is a Grizzlies team that has been very good at facing adversity all year long, whether it's been injuries, whether it's been fouls, whether it's been poor shooting, whatever, and they've been able to battle back. 
right now when you look at this series objectively Utah is a better basketball team I mean they won 52 games they have the top seed uh, in the NBA they had the best home record in the NBA they have three all-stars on their team and they've got the sixth man of the year this is a really solid basketball team that uh, Quinn Snyder is coaching and so if you look at this on paper and if you look at it in any objective sense, Utah is a better basketball team, but the Grizzlies continue to battle back. And Utah is going to walk out of this series uh, having been extended. Even if this series ends in five games, even if Utah takes the next two, uh, Utah will know that they have been in a battle and that they will have been pushed. And that is to great credit for the Memphis Grizzlies because they are an exceptionally young basketball team, which brings me to the next PD's point. Don't know if you know this, but about 38% of the Grizzlies' offense in this series is coming from players 21 years of age and younger. That is one of the top five percentages in NBA postseason history. The Grizzlies have three guys who are, uh, three starters, I should say, who are making their playoff debuts. Uh, It's not unheard of, but it certainly uh, is remarkable when you consider that This team is in the postseason, and they are starting uh, three guys who have never played in the playoffs before, and they're trying to make their way against the number one seed. So that, again, is remarkable. Uh, We've talked about this on the telecast, that this is a a basketball team that I think Taylor Jenkins has ahead of schedule. Uh, When the core four was dismantled and it was time to retool this basketball team, you know, normally you retool a basketball team. It might take you know, three, four, five years to get back into the postseason. And really, if the Grizzlies don't have a collapse uh, in the Orlando bubble, if they don't lose Tyus Jones or they don't lose Jaron Jackson Jr., they may well have been in the playoffs last year, uh, of course, losing in the play-in game to the Portland Trailblazers. But they are in the playoffs this year. And, uh, and I think that's great credit to Taylor Jenkins. Secondly, uh, or rather thirdly, I should say, uh, the Grizzlies still getting limited bench production. This was a Grizzlies bench that averaged 39 a game in the regular season. Now, I know that the bench minutes are way down for the Grizzlies. I think the Grizzlies are averaging right around 80 bench minutes a game. They were probably about 95-ish during the regular season. Um, But still, they're only getting 19.7 points per game off their bench. The 17-point game by Grayson Allen in Game 3 was the only and has been the only double-figure scoring game for the Grizzlies off the bench this season, this postseason and their field goal percentage off the bench is just 36%, which is last in the NBA. Uh, the 19.7 points per game off the bench in the playoffs, that is the second lowest. Uh, only the Brooklyn Nets have uh, a lower number, which is to be expected when you consider how potent their starters are. Next, uh, the free throw disparity continues to rear its head. This is not necessarily... A, a, an officiating issue. I don't think it is an officiating issue at all, to be quite honest with you. But the Grizzlies just have to be more disciplined uh, with their defense. Too many fouls that really don't need to happen. A lot of uh, hand-checking, a lot of arm wraps, uh, a lot of reaching, a lot of grabbing. And as a result, uh, the Grizzlies are just really dealing with a free-throw disparity right now that's not very good. Uh, and in fact, Utah right now, Uh, through the games of Sunday night. They are leading the NBA. They're averaging 30 free throw attempts per game. And I don't care how good your team is. If you are putting the other team at the line 30 times a game, chances are you're not going to win very many of those games. And then finally, uh, Dylan Brooks and John Moran. These are two guys who are 
playoff rookies, but certainly they are not NBA rookies, and they have impressed. And I, 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 I just really love to see what they have done because sometimes you get guys who during the regular season, they are fantastic. They can play well. They can score well. They can do everything. And then the, you turn on the bright lights, and then things change a little bit. Well, it hasn't changed for John Moran. It hasn't changed for Dylan Brooks, other than the fact that they have actually upped their game. Uh, Dylan Brooks is tied for 10th in the postseason in points per game at 27 points per game. He's tied with Donovan Mitchell in that regard. And John Morant, through the games of Sunday night, leading all postseason scorers. Uh, so he is having himself a fantastic postseason. Obviously, that's that's bolstered by the 47-point game in Game 2, but still... Uh, he has been consistently very, very good getting to his spots, converting the shots he knows that he can make. And so those two guys are just having an absolutely fantastic postseason. Uh, and then just to just to round up some, uh, some postseason stat numbers that I was digging up today, getting ready for game four, Grizzlies are doing exactly what they have done uh, during the course of the regular season. They lead the postseason in points in the paint. They lead the postseason in fast break points. They're second in points off turnovers. And this is where the Grizzlies actually have an edge. They're plus eight in points scored off opponent turnovers. But on the flip side, you, you look at a Utah Jazz team. I'd mentioned that they were averaging 30 free throws a game. They are second in scoring. They're averaging 123, almost 124 points per game in the playoffs. They're fourth in field goal percentage, fifth in three-point percentage. They're shooting 49% from the floor and 39% from three. And Mike Conley is second in the postseason at 11.3 assists per game. And, of course, Rudy Gobert is having another fabulous postseason where he's averaging 14 rebounds and almost four blocks per game. Like I said, this is a really good Utah team. And when you look at this series on paper, you, you know a one versus eight is almost always a mismatch. This is a series that favors the Utah Jazz because they have so many more offensive weapons. But like I said, Utah may well get out of this first round, but they will get out of this first round knowing that they have been in a scrap and that it was not an easy walkover for them to get into the second round. And that does it for this edition of Petey's Points. Now before we get to our friend of the program, Lloyd Pierce of the Memphis Grizzlies, Philadelphia 76ers, and the former head coach of the Atlanta Hawks will ask, if there was one thing you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you do it? Well, if that answer is yes, here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today, so do not delay Join the movement. Become a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message is brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company, serving Memphis for 70 years. They're a proud support of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation. Framing consultations by appointment at 901-685-7796. This is Episode 42 of the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, your host for the program. Hope that you are enjoying the Grizz Weekly Grind. So wherever you get your podcasts, whether that is uh, iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or Google Podcasts, uh, please do feel free to leave a review. Uh, leave a review, leave a rating, subscribe, tell your friends if you think this is uh, quality basketball content. And uh, if you have a question for me or want to uh, give me some uh, what you think is direction on the show, my DMs are open at Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Pete Pranica. So let me know 
If there's something that you would like me to address as we go forward here with the Grizz Weekly Grind, this is episode 42. Can't believe that I have actually uh, put up 42 episodes of a podcast, but it's uh, it's been a fun ride and an interesting journey. It's allowed me to talk to uh, a lot of people that I have known over the years, and it's given me the opportunity to talk with them uh, on an extended basis. So many times when you see uh, assistant coaches or other writers or other broadcasters, it, it's bits and pieces before a game, and maybe you have four or five minutes to actually chat. But it's nice to be able to sit down, albeit over Zoom, and talk to some old friends and, and get their takes on things. Lloyd Pierce has just been a wonderful asset to the NBA, not only as a coach, as an assistant coach, as a head coach, as a player development coach, but also in the area of social justice. And uh, on Sunday night, as the games were winding down, I sat down with Lloyd Pierce, who is doing some commentary for NBA TV this year on the NBA playoffs. And we talked about a number of series with a focus, of course, on uh, his old team, the Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee Bucks, and also some words about the series between the Utah Jazz and the Memphis Grizzlies and uh also, his take on player development. He was hired as a player development coach for the Memphis Grizzlies. I thought did a remarkable job before going on to Philadelphia and then getting the head coaching job with the Atlanta Hawks. Good friend, good guy, great coach. Let's meet our friend of the program today, Lloyd Pierce. Lloyd, first of all, let's talk about the Atlanta team. Uh, they're up 3-1 on the New York Knicks. I mean, Trey Young has been as good as advertised. What do you think has been the biggest key for the Hawks in this series against the Knicks? Well, I think it's it's playoff basketball. And, and a lot of times what happens is you start to see um, some of the things you're able to get away with don't quite work in the playoffs. And uh, certain styles and certain players are able to ex- excel in the playoffs. And I think, you know, at this stage of the season, Atlanta's is about as healthy as they've been all year uh, with DeAndre Hunter back in the starting lineup and Bogdanovich who missed a portion of the season early in the, in the year. Um, you know, those two guys are key to what they're doing. Uh, I think DeAndre is starting on Randall in most of the games. You've got John Collins over on, uh, on Barrett and they're just shadowing, you know, everything that uh, Randall's doing in New York who shot the ball fairly well in the regular season is really struggling to shoot from perimeter. Obviously, Rando isn't making shots, uh, some of the shots we saw him make all year. But I think for Atlanta, um, they just have capable shooters, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a variety of guys that are stepping up. Uh, Trey is going to be in pick and roll. John and Clint are going to be rolling, and they've got guys that are knocking it down. I think in the game they lost, they were one for seven or one for eight, something like that from corner threes. But every other game, they've uh, they've shot it extremely well. And so the difference of their ability to make shots and being healthy at this stage is really bothering New York. Brooklyn continuing to roll now a 3-1 series lead over the Boston Celtics. If this Brooklyn team remains healthy, is there anybody – I mean, it, does Milwaukee challenge them? Does Philadelphia challenge them? I mean, who is the biggest threat to Brooklyn getting all the way to the finals? Well, I think both both of those teams, honestly, uh, will, will give them as great a challenge as they've seen all year um, in ways that is going to really confront the the thing that we all know is, is how are they going to get stops in a consistent manner uh, we know they can score. We know those three guys are, are elite. They've got Joe Harris, the leading three-point percentage shooter. Um, but they're going to need some defensive um, stoppers. They're going to need a defensive approach. They're going to need some guys because 
you know, I think just as well as they can score, it's going to be a lot difficult, a lot more difficult for them to score over pretty good defenders as well. You got Drew Holiday, you got Giannis Antetokounmpo, you got P.J. Tucker. Uh, you have three pretty good defenders as well that are going to make it tougher uh, in one-on-one situations and definitely in their team defense. But they're going to have to stop uh, Milwaukee team as well. Drew Holiday in the pick and roll. Giannis presenting at the rim. Their interior defense for Brooklyn uh, it, it remains to be a, a true threat. And then if you go to Philly, um, you know, Philadelphia has pretty good defenders as well. Ben Simmons is one of the players, the defensive player of the year candidates. Joel is an anchor back there that that really protects at the rim. And then you've got guys like Danny Green and Matisse Thibel, um, that are just pests and they have size and length and active hands. Um, not necessarily going to stop anyone one-on-one, but they're going to make it tough and they're going to make it tough in a seven game series. But who's going to deal with Joel Embiid in the post? Uh, who's going to deal with Ben Simmons in the post because of his ability, not only with the size and strength, but he's able to get to that rim and he's also able to create uh, three-point opportunities and scoring opportunities for other guys. So both of those teams will present a threat for uh, the Brooklyn Nets. We know Brooklyn can score and they can score at a very elite and high level, but can they get stops if it's a close game? We're visiting with Lloyd Pierce longtime NBA coach, assistant coach, and former head coach of the Atlanta Hawks. He's our friend of the program. Today we're talking about the NBA playoffs. You mentioned Milwaukee, and Milwaukee has had a recent run where they get the number one seed in the East, and then eventually in the playoffs things tend to fall apart from them when they fall short of getting to the NBA Finals. Now, you talked about Drew Holiday, P.J. Tucker, some new faces with that basketball team. This year, it didn't seem like they were so obsessed about getting the top overall seed in the East, and maybe Mike Budenholzer was trying some things during the regular season that he might use later on in the playoffs. Is it his change in philosophy, or is it just the fact that they've got some new faces to go along with Giannis that, you know, I mean, they, they just, they just outside of game one, they just blew through Miami. Yeah, you know, I think they have, they have the right mindset right now. Um you know, whatever has happened to Milwaukee in the past is the past. And I think they're, they're worried about right now. I think it's up to us on the outside, observing how they're going to perform in the playoffs based on their past performances. But I don't think that's their mindset. I think their mindset is this is a new team and this is a new season. And all we have to worry about is the present. And what you're seeing is a, is a team that's trying to get better with every game. And, and as you alluded to, the first game was close. And after that, it was, it was really a blowout. And so, uh, they got better with each game and they got different production from different guys. You, you see a guy like Bren Forbes, who has shown us uh, in this in these playoffs that he's not afraid of the moment and he's a capable three point shooter. And so, you know, that's that's very much needed when you're playing with a guy like Giannis. Um, they're able to move Giannis around a lot more than they've done in the past. Not only is he standing at the top of the key with the basketball, you're able to use him as a screener in the pick and rolls with guys like Middleton and, and uh, Drew Holiday. You're able to post him. You're able to put him in the top of the floor, and you're also able to put him at the elbow. And so there's some versatility in what they can do with Giannis, but more, more than anything, they've got capable scorers surrounding him. Uh, Bobby Portis knocked down some big threes in this series. Brent Forbes, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday we know are going to perform. And P.J. Tucker has always been a – an elite corner three-point shooter, um, in addition to a guy like Brooke Lopez, who's kind of been the, the steady uh, shooter and scorer for that Milwaukee team. 
Let's talk about the Western Conference a little bit. Obviously, a series that uh, I and uh, many of my listeners are most intrigued by, and that, of course, is the Utah Jazz Series with the Memphis Grizzlies as we record this going into Game 4. It's a 2-1 Jazz lead. Um, Grizzlies overcame a big deficit in Game 1, got the win. Game 2 was a blowout, pretty much Utah in control throughout. Then in Game 3, the Grizzlies make a game of it in the fourth quarter. Uh, As you look at this, uh, because I know that you had been on the Memphis bench and uh, certainly with an interested eye what are you seeing in this series you know I I see a lot of uh, similarities uh, between the two teams and what they've had to go through Uh, obviously Memphis is a lot younger um, but this is what Utah was dealing with the last couple years it was Donovan and and Rudy and and Joe Ingles and they're able to get a guy like Bogdanovich they're able to trade for a guy like Mike Conley uh, they're able to bring in a Jordan Clarkson and, and really accelerate that team. And now as a mature group, uh, they've led the league all year. They've shot the ball extremely well all year. And in these playoffs, uh, they're, they're finding their rhythm. And so it's a mature group that's had a, a remarkable year. And with the addition of Donovan Mitchell coming back, they're getting back to what we've seen of them all year. And so this Memphis Grizzly team, who has a little bit of heart heartbreak in the past, you know, past year and a half, two years um, since Jaws been there and coach coach has been there, um, they're still learning on the fly. And so great win to go up to Utah and win that first game. Uh, but now it's now it's where you know where does that poise, where does that maturity, where does that production come from? We're seeing a rising star uh, already in Ja Morant, you know, on the biggest stage of his career thus far, really outperform what we've expected of him. Uh, you're seeing a guy like Dylan Brooks uh, take a, a lead defensive role similar to what we all know in, in Memphis, uh, Tony Allen. Um, he's starting to develop at least that mindset that, that uh, we're, you know, everyone's used to seeing in Memphis uh, and taking on the challenge of a Mike Conley and a Donovan Mitchell and obviously a Steph Curry in that playing game. And so they're just going through it, and it's going to be tough. You're, you're playing the best team in the league, and uh, you're down 2-1. They have to stay the course. They have to continue to grind it out. They have to continue to have each guy step up uh, you know, it's going to be hard for Ja to score at the rate that he does. He's going to need some outside shooters to step in and knock some shots. We got to keep the big fella Valanchunas out of foul trouble so that he can, you know, at least provide a scoring punch in the inside and, and put some pressure on Gobert. But uh, it's a very similar matchup between the two teams and what they've gone through to get to this point. This is a very, very young Grizzlies team by average age, the third youngest team in the NBA, the only one of the six youngest to make it into the playoffs. You and I know, because we've been around this game for so long, that playoff basketball is an entirely different animal than the regular season. For someone who has not been on the bench, has not broadcasted, has not played in it, give us a sense of how much more challenging and different a playoff series is as as opposed to a, a game in February. Well, I think the identity of, um, of, of who you are as a team changes. Um, why? Because everyone knows your sets. They know exactly how they're going to defend it. You know, during the year, you know, you may be playing an opponent on the, back, on the second night of a back-to-back. Um, you're not going to know their sets. Uh, the rotations are different. And it's hard to really lock into those sets defensively with your schemes and your coverages. And you, you don't know what they're going to do defensively. You'll have a glance, but, you know, one night you may be playing Golden State and the next night you're playing Chicago. Those are two different teams. 
And it's hard to really just say we're going to lock in. During the playoffs, you know, both of these teams had some time, especially Utah. They didn't know their opponent, but they knew it was going to be one or the other. But they had some time to, to work on their, their game, but really lock into what the Memphis Grizzlies were and who they are. And so in the playoffs, knowing every little tendency, knowing every set, communicating, um, there's a different advantage you have to bring. And so the plays get thrown out the window for the most part, especially further and further you go into the playoffs. And so it really comes down to your skill set, your team basketball, and your willingness and uh, to get off the basketball and make the simple play and the ability to make shots. I, I say it all the time, you know, defense takes a notch two or three notches up, uh, the intensity, the focus, but offense, who are the shot makers and who are the shot creators? And so Josh having a ton of success because he is a shot creator and a shot maker. Other guys may struggle because they can't create their own shots. And then they're getting limited opportunities to shoot the basketball. And there's so much more pressure on each possession. So um, you're seeing guards really take off in the playoffs because they're shot makers and shot creators. And that's really what it comes down to for the most part. You had talked about Dylan Brooks and his, ascendance really on both ends of the floor. I know the Grizzlies staff has worked with him to be a more disciplined scorer, trying to work with him continually to be more disciplined defensively because the Grizzlies have seen him disqualified on fouls in the postseason, and frankly, they need him on the floor. In the earlier part of your coaching career, you were focused on player development. So for the listeners who aren't familiar with the process of player development, a player comes to you, they have a certain skill set, and they are assigned and they say, okay, Coach Pierce, you're going to work with player X, and you know what that player can do and can't do and where they want to go. How do you develop a plan to develop that player to fulfill their potential? Well, I think the biggest thing is understanding that player's role. You know, what is he going to be in the NBA? What do you project out to be? Um and let's spend the majority of our time of trying to enhance that. Uh, at the NBA level, rarely do you see a player become something different than what you expect them to be. And so, you know, by example, if a guy is a really great catch and shoot player, um, you know, especially a spot up shooter, can you can you at least help him develop some off the move three point shooting? You're not going to take that same player and say, hey, let's try and make him a predominantly pick and roll ball handler. It's just it's too much time. It's not a skill set. You're doing him a disservice because that's not how he's going to be used anyway. So, you know, the two words I use often is competition and repetition. Um, put them in a position where they should be able to excel and give them as many reps as they can. Game speed, um, footwork, body mechanics, uh, all the fundamentals that they need, and then make it competitive. Give them repetition, make it competitive, make it as game-like as possible. And maybe they'll get better at what they already are capable of doing. They just want to get better and better at that skill set. When you try and drastically turn a player into someone else, um, you may spend too much time on one area and you may never get there. And so not only did they get better at the uh, area that they, that you expect them to be, they spent a lot of time working on something that they're really not going to use or become. And so it's really, it's really important to key in on their role identity of, of who they are who they're going to be, what they should work on, and give them as much competition and repetition in that area as possible. 
And your role has changed a little bit. You're doing some analysis for NBA TV. How are you enjoying the media side of this whole uh, process? Well, I don't have to ask any questions and I don't have to answer any questions. So it's a little bit different, um, you know, to be able to just watch basketball and talk about the game. It, it, you know, it comes secondhand for, for a guy that, you know, I watch a lot of film, have watched a lot of film over the last 14 years working in the NBA. Uh, so you know what's going on as you're watching the game. As a head coach, you're, you're, you're able to watch all 10 guys on the floor and see how the game is being manipulated and make your adjustments and see the adjustments and see what's happening. Uh, so to be able to talk about that is, is, is pretty easy. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times there's more to say, but when you're dealing with TV, it's really just trying to fit it in that, that tight window frame. We, I know all about that. When you get 90 <laughs> seconds to, to interview Taylor Jenkins in my case, and Taylor can be rather loquacious. Uh, two questions might be all I get. Final thing for you, Lloyd, you were very, very upfront in Black Lives Matter and the social justice and the call for social justice and reform in policing. I know that you are still active in that. How does the NBA remain in the forefront of social justice that it isn't just something that came to a head during the bubble in Orlando, but is something that we have to keep in the forefront that this is a process. We are not where we want to be just yet. Well, I, I think, I mean, the, the, the simple answer is if, if, people don't understand that we're not living in a country um, that provides equal opportunity. Um, if they don't understand that yet, then, you know, that's the problem. And that, and really, you know, I, I'm passionate about helping others and, and I really look at it that way. You know, I, I've never been one to say, Hey, my fight is for black lives matter or my fight is for this. My fight is for improving our country, improving our communities, improving my family um, because we live in a country that has a lot of divide um, that has a lot of things wrong with the system uh, that's in place, that's currently in place in a lot of areas, not just in, in, in race, racial injustices. Uh, we're talking about education. We're talking about health care. We're talking about income. And so I, I think it's, um, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, in this position where you work in the NBA, regardless of what position in the NBA you work in uh, or what title you hold, when you're in this position, you have a right, you have an obligation, you have access to doing more, more than the common person. And for me as a head coach, a former head coach, me as an assistant coach, and me someone that still represents the NBA, all I've ever wanted to do was try and help improve others. And it was here in the city of Atlanta. It was with organizations that, uh, that are on the ground running. You know, I continue to serve on the coalition, the social justice coalition for the NBA with a few of our principal governors and players and Doc Rivers as the other coach. And our focus is on doing things at the largest level possible, which is the, uh, the federal level, um, and working with different senators, working with different politicians, working with different lobbyists to get legislative items that we feel and we deem are necessary uh, to address change. And some of those have to do with um, you know, law enforcement. Some of those things have to do with uh, voting rights. Some of those things just have to do with civil and human rights. How do we help others? How do we help our communities? Uh, how can we represent the NBA so that we're part of the change and the solution and not the problem? So it continues to go on. It needs to go on in all 30 cities with all 30 NBA teams, but it's definitely going on at the NBA level. And it's something that I'm grateful and honored to be a part of. Lloyd, thank you so much for the visit. We miss you here in Memphis. Uh, we enjoyed having you as part of the Grizzly staff and wish you nothing but uh, success going forward. I appreciate it. Thank you, Pete. 
And we thank Lloyd Pierce for stopping by to share his thoughts on the NBA playoffs through the games that were played on uh, Sunday night. Uh, the uh, Dallas uh, Clipper game was not final at that point, so we'll put that caveat on it. Uh, that does it for this edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. The show today has been brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City has helped young men be great on the court and in the community, and their alumni include major college and NBA players. For more information on how to become part of this great sports and character-building club, you can log on to HoopCityBC.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at HoopCity BC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. And they do have a summer league coming up that will start on June 13th and end on June 29th. The grade range is kindergarten through eight. Uh, the registration will close actually on June 21st. So if you want to get your young person involved in the Hoop City Basketball Club, call Buffy Kersey at 901 604 4385. That's 901 604 4385. Or simply email Buffy at hoopcitybc at gmail.com. And Buffy will give you the information about the Hoop City Basketball Club Summer League for grades kindergarten through eighth. We thank Hoop City Basketball Club, Garner Framing Company, and of course our good friends at DraftKings for their support of the Grizz Weekly Grind. As we record this and as we close the show, uh, Utah Jazz, a two-games-to-one series lead over the Memphis Grizzlies. Game four is Monday night. You can catch it nationally on TNT. Uh, Spiro Didis and Greg Anthony will have the call. The local call will be on Bally Sports Southeast starting at 8 o'clock with Grizzlies Live, presented by Ford New Mid-South Ford Dealers, then an 8.30 tip as the Grizzlies try to even the season or the postseason series against the Utah Jazz at two games apiece. Grizzlies and Jazz, game four coming up on Monday night from what should be a raucous FedEx Forum. I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening to the Grizz Weekly Grind, and we'll see you next time.